My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. The passage we read today is, is the introduction to a part of scripture called the seven woes. Doesn't that sound like a happy one? Now, the good news is the woes are not for you. They're for me. Jesus was criticizing the religious leaders of the time, and he makes seven different complaints. Well, we'll look at it another Sunday. We're just looking at the introduction to the seven woes. So what did he say? He said, number one, do what the leaders say, but don't do what they do because they don't live the lives they're telling you to live. Don't do things to be seen. Do them to serve in love. He said, don't put one person higher than another. And then we didn't read it today, but verse 13 actually calls the uh, leaders hypocrites. We're going to talk about that in a second. So then I don't know about you, but if they're called the seven woes and they're aimed at the leaders of the church, I thought I should look at them for a moment. So here they are. Number one is they were keeping people out of heaven. Now, how do you keep people out of heaven? By making them do religious things, but not sharing the good news. They were teaching the converts to live in the same way that they lived by telling people what to do, but by not doing it themselves. Uh, Jesus later on calls them the blind leading the blind. The leaders were the blind who chose not to see, and the people that they were converting were blind, and the rabbis, the Pharisees, and the scribes weren't giving them the light to see. Isn't this a happy passage? Now, I don't know if you know this, but... They tithed, the leaders tithed on everything. They even went into their spice cabinet and gave one-tenth of all the spices. Can you imagine measuring out your McCormick spices? Well, here's one-tenth of my cinnamon and one-tenth of my oregano and one-tenth of my allspice. That's what they did. But they did not live lives that pointed towards justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They tried to appear holy on the outside, but they had sinful hearts. And Jesus goes on to say that they were like a tomb that you would paint white so it would look really nice on the outside, but it was dead on the inside. And finally, he said that they looked to honor the actions of heroes past without recognizing the mistakes that the heroes had made. That's a long list. I'm glad it's over. And hopefully... Pastors in the past for this church and myself haven't fallen into those traps, but they're there for all of us to recognize. So as I read the list of characteristics of both the introduction and the seven woes, I'm struck by the hypocritical nature. So then I had to look up the word hypocrite. I don't know if you do that, but when Vicki and I are, we're both very voracious readers We'll find a word that we've never heard, and we like to stop and look them up. But we've all heard the word hypocrite, but do you know where it comes from? Well, it's my job to tell you. It's a Greek word, and it's actually transliterated exactly. In Greek, it was hypocrite, and in English, it's hypocrite. And what does it mean? Well, back in the the first century, when you went to see a play, 
the actors wore a mask for each character. And the word hypocrite was actually used to say actor because they had on a mask, but the real person was behind the mask. So they were pretending to be something else. Sort of an apropos passage to read on the week after Halloween. But have you met people who pretend to be somebody that they're not? They might pretend to be smarter than they are, or richer than they are, or stronger, or faster, or you could fill in the gap. These are the people that Jesus is talking about. Uh, just, well, I'll tell you, when I got my first clerical collar, I think I was 25 years old, and I thought I was the bee's knees. I had on my collar, and I, I had to wear it for chaplaincy. It's very difficult if you're a chaplain at a hospital if you walk into the room in just a suit, then you have to tell everybody you're the chaplain. If you walk in with a clerical collar on, it's sort of obvious, and you can go right to the spiritual stuff and skip all the, hi, I'm the chaplain, hi, I'm the chaplain, you can dive right in. Well, does the clerical collar make me any smarter or holier than anybody else? And the answer is no. It just makes me easily recognizable. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm in a store with my uh, sweater vest and my tie like I wear to school, people think I work there, and they ask me questions. I'm like, I don't work here. I just look like somebody who works here. Well, that's sort of where Jesus is headed. Just because you're in the church doesn't make you a Christian. Or I have a friend who likes to say, <laughs> just because you're in McDonald's, does it make you a cheeseburger? Now, have you thought about this? If you're an actor and you win an Oscar, what we're really saying is you are the best fooler of the year. You fooled all of us and made us believe that you were somebody else. And Jesus says that's the problem with the church, is that we have too many people who are trying to look like a Christian instead of actually being a Christian. I heard a couple funny stories Here's one. A lady was in a hurry and she was behind another car and they came up to the yellow light and she wanted him to zip through so she could follow him. The guy slammed on the brakes and stopped at the yellow light. It turned red. This lady rolled down her window and, window and she gave him what for. There was horn honking and shouting and perhaps finger waving. And when, uh, when the light changed, tires were... Uh, squealing and off they went and all of a sudden she saw that red light in her rearview mirror and she pulled over and the man a policeman came up and he said ma'am license and registration please and he did that whole thing where they go back whatever they do in their car and he came back and he said ma'am do you know why I stopped you she said I have no idea he says well ma'am on the back of your car you got a Jesus fish you got a honk if you love Jesus you got the name of your church and the way you're acting, I thought you had stolen this car. <laughs> All the signs said she was a Christian, but her behavior said she wasn't. I, I read this one. It made me laugh. A, uh, a, a doctor was asked to go address a high school on the dangers of smoking. And he had slides and pictures of the lung and all the statistics. And his refrain was, 
fire on one end, a fool on the other. And he just kept repeating that. After he was done, he went out to his car, and guess what he did? Lit up a cigarette, and some of the kids caught him, and you know what they shouted? Fire on one end, fool on the other. Just because you're in the church doesn't mean that you're a Christian. What Jesus is teaching is what Carl Rogers called congruence. Now, you might remember that word from geometry, Two triangles that were the same were called congruent, or you can have congruent angles. Jesus said we need congruent Christians. Well, what does that mean? When I taught this at the college, I would remind my students that I wasn't just a college professor, but there are things that I could do and say in front of a college class that I could never do and say in front of a pre-K music class. And there are things that I can do and say at home that I couldn't do in church. And there's things that I do and say in church that I can't do in front of the high school choir. Could you imagine I got 80 kids in the room and I say, let's begin with a word of prayer. Would not fly in a public high school. Now, because my behavior changes in each of those places, I can't change in each of those places. Congruent meant that I was the same person with the same beliefs, the same morals, and the same actions in all of those places. Now, when I was a therapist, well, I am a therapist, I, I, have a, I have a good family, I have a good marriage, I'm reasonably mentally healthy myself, so people come to me for individual counseling, they come to me for parenting advice, they come to me for couples therapy, and then at the college I would turn sideways like this and go, nobody comes to me for diet counseling, <laughs> and you're allowed to laugh because that would be incongruent. Now, I tell people I'm shaped like this because I'm an opera singer, but my doctor wags his finger at me on occasion. Madison, you gotta lose some of that weight. Why? Because it would be incongruent for a man shaped like me, even though I am an opera singer, to tell other people how to lose weight. Does that make sense? Well, Jesus says, if your life actions don't match the words, then you're a hypocrite and you're not really living the life of a Christian. So one of my doctors sent me to a dietitian, And the dietitian went over all the things. We had, have you ever done this? You have to make a list of everything you eat for two weeks, including the stops you make at perhaps the Heritage to pick up some Drake's cakes because they're two for $3 that you don't tell Vicky about and that you eat before you get home and you hide the wrappers in the trash can. Not that I would ever do anything like that. And she said, you guys go to Five Guys a lot. We love the Five Guys up in Deptford because they do hand-turned milkshakes. And the person I'm married to loves a good milkshake. Well, she said, you know, you can go to Five Guys. Listen to what she said. You can go to Five Guys, but you can't have the fries and the bun. That's too many hard carbohydrates. I said... If I want the fries, I have to like eat the burger by itself. They don't have silverware at Five Guys. She goes, I make my husband do it. I don't know about you, but I want to follow the dietitian to Five Guys and see if her husband really takes the bun off of the burger and eats it so he can have the fries. I think my dietitian might be like those first century scribes and Pharisees 
and maybe, maybe is not doing what she tells me to do. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. Live the life that your mouth, your bumper stickers are saying that you live. Now, I got to tell you, I was really struggling for a metaphor, an an illustration, something to, to make this come home for all of us. And I had a dream and my subconscious mind came up with this idea. So this isn't real, but this is my dream. McDonald's has decided that they're going to have a new way to order. And you come in and there's a a kiosk. It's a whole bunch of little things. And if you want a Big Mac, you push this one. And if you want fries, you push this one. And you go down the line and you pick what you want. At the very beginning of the line, there's two buttons. You can push the unhealthy button or the healthy button. The healthy button will limit what you can buy. So in my dream, which button did I push? I pushed healthy, then I pushed a Big Mac. I love a good Big Mac. And then all of the other signs, I couldn't have anything else. So I undid the Big Mac and I tried the quarter pounder with cheese and all the signs went red. I couldn't have anything else. There were too many calories. The only thing I could get was the grilled chicken salad, which I'm sure is why everybody goes to McDonald's. And in my frustration, I turned around and behind me, there was a whole row of people that I recognized. They were all the doctors and the dietitian who told me I wasn't allowed to eat all that stuff. And guess what they had in front of them? A Big Mac. and fr- They had everything I wasn't allowed to eat. So if you make the signs, the Jewish laws, and you make the people behind the scribes and the Pharisees, this is the hypocrisy that Jesus is trying to to address. Jesus is saying to them and to us, practice what you preach. You're not allowed to have a bumper sticker faith or a cross-wearing witness or a Sunday best mask. Jesus calls us to be true saints. And what does that mean? Set apart by God. I have two final stories for you, and they both have to do with children and church. Little girl came home from church with her mom, and she just had that confused child face on. You could see that she was thinking, and she wasn't figuring out what she wanted. And the mom said, okay, what's going on? And she said, well, I was in Sunday school. And the teacher said, God is as big as the whole universe. Her mom said, well, that's true. And then she said that Jesus was God. Mom says, well, that's true, too. And she says, well, then she said, Jesus lives in my heart. Mom said, well, that's true, too. And she said, well, if he's so big, why doesn't he shine through? That's the question. Is Jesus shining through your heart? Or I found this news story that I I really liked from Billy Strayhorn. It says, a little boy attended church with his grandfather. And grandpa's church had beautiful stained windows. And that's why it stuck with me, because I love the stained windows here. And all through the service, the boy kept pointing at the pictures in the windows and asking who they were. Well, there was St. Mark and St. John and St. Luke and St. Paul and a whole bunch of other saints. When the little boy got home, he was very excited and he told his parents all about the windows. And dad wanted to be funny and sort of poke the bear. And he, he looked at the boy and he said, well, what is a saint? The boy thought for a minute, and then he said, a saint is someone that the light shines through. 
That's a pretty good definition of a saint. And then we have to ask, are we being saints? No, I'm not hoping that you get beatified by the Pope in Rome. But the word saint is used for all of us in Scripture, and it literally means set apart. So Jesus is asking us to do four things. And if you're taking notes, this is the point of the sermon. Be a person of your word and the word. Live to serve God and your fellow man, but not to be seen. Have utmost respect for everyone, believer or not. And the last one is this. Don't act like a Christian. Live like a Christian. Amen.